Volume Two, Chapter Five of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume Two, Chapter Five. Arabella Thorold, desirous of availing herself of the superior taste and skill that Celestina possessed in such ornamental matter as she was now busy about, the merit of which she knew she might, where she was going, take entirely to herself, now invited her guest to the work-table at which she was employed. Montague took up a book to read to them aloud, while his brother sauntered idly about the room now praising Celestina's performance, now correcting that of his sister, then humming a tune, looking at his watch, or throwing about the colours or the pencils. He seemed determined to interrupt his brother's reading, and particularly when by Montague's voice and gesture he saw that he hoped particularly to interest and attract the attention of his auditors. This scene, of which the painful anxiety of Celestina for her letter made her unusually impatient, was at length put an end to by the entrance of the servant from the post, and Celestina receiving, in trembling agitation, a letter with the Dover postmark. She flew with it to her own room, and read as follows. Dover, April 11, 17, blank. The vessel which is to carry me from England and Celestina is now waiting for me, and I have delayed writing to her till this last moment, not because I have ever ceased to think of her with the warmest solicitude, but because I have not till now been able to collect courage to bid her a long adieu. I am going, Celestina, to the south of Europe. Perhaps my stay may be very short. Perhaps I may, for the rest of my life, be doomed to be a solitary wanderer. But however destiny may dispose of me, let me entreat you, by all that regard which once made the happiness of my life, to take care of your health, try to regain your cheerfulness, and believe me, Celestina, strangely against me as appearances are, I have not deserved to lose your confidence nor have I any wish so fervent as for your happiness. I cannot write to you on pecuniary affairs. Cathcart has, in regard to everything of that sort, my full directions. Whenever he and Jessie become housekeepers for themselves, you will be their welcome guest, and my heavy heart will be relieved of much of its anguish. Till then... I entrust you to the care and direction of the excellent friend you are now with. May it not long be necessary for me to... But I dare not trust myself on this subject. Write to me, for now the measure I have been driven to is adopted. I can hear from you without fearing that my resolution may be shaken. Heaven bless and protect you, dearest Celestina. This is the first wish I form, when, after my uneasy slumber, recollection returns in the morning, and the last before I attempt 
to sleep at night. Alas, it is often only an attempt. But there is no end of this. Farewell, most beloved Celestina. Farewell. G.W. This letter was, if possible, more unsatisfactory than the last. No reason was yet given for his having left her, no certainty held out of his return. But all, if not hopeless, was so comfortless, so obscure, that her resolution to investigate the cause of all that had happened again failed. She feared even to attempt putting aside the fearful veil that was drawn between them. He was now in another country, from whence his return seemed uncertain, and she seemed the most desolate and forlorn being that existed on that which he had left. Her heart sunk within her in remembering that she might never see him more, that he hardly seemed to wish she should. Again she read his letter over. He was sleepless, restless, unhappy, and for his sufferings she wept more than for her own. The plan he mentioned of her residing with the Cathcarts was the only one to which, since their separation, she had looked forward with any degree of satisfaction, but that there was yet little probability of executing, for old Winnington was in even better health than he had been for some years, and though the tender assiduity of Jessie had won much even on his insensible heart, he suffered her to have no authority, and often being seized with fits of jealousy and suspicion that she went to meet and assist her father, he would insist upon her not quitting him a moment, so that she had sometimes for many days together no opportunity of seeing her husband, and had never once, since her separation from Celestina, been able to reach her present abode. Celestina had not been an hour alone before Montague Thorold tapped at her door. She dried her eyes, and pulling her hat over them, opened it to him. "'Will you not walk?' said he, apologising, however, for his intrusion. "'I am afraid I disturb you, but the morning is so beautiful, and we are all going to see a pond fished, with two friends of my brothers from Exeter, who are just come in.' "'I cannot, indeed,' answered Celestina. "'Pray excuse me.' "'I would not press you for the world,' said he to do anything that is disagreeable to you, but the air will be surely useful to you. You have been weeping, Mr. Mornay, and if I have, replied she, interrupting him, you may be assured, sir, that I have reason enough for my tears, and would wish to enjoy them alone. Precious tears, cried he with a deep sigh. The letter was from the fortunate Willoughby, fortunate do you call him but celestina as if offended that any tongue but hers should name him stopped and turning from the door went into her own room at this moment arabella ran upstairs to fetch her cloak and gloves and seeing her brother montague at the door of celestina's room cried as she passed him hey day are you in waiting as page or gentleman usher as neither, answered he in some confusion, 
I was merely asking if Mr. Mornay would walk with us. Oh, I dare say not, replied his sister, smiling maliciously as she looked over her shoulder at him. I dare say not. Montague, what are you in now? Are you Romeo? Oh, that I were a glove upon that hand that I might touch that cheek. Or are you Castalio? Sweets planted by the hand of heaven grow here. You always make love, I know by book. What? Shall I call Edmund to take the part of Polydor? I think you will make it out among you. Celestina, who had heard this speech, though it was not meant that she should, was equally amazed and hurt at it. It had, however, a very different effect from what the speaker intended, who, having no wish that Celestina should join them, because she desired to monopolise the conversation of the two strangers, thought, by rallying her brother, to break off his entreaty. Montague, mild as he was, was piqued extremely, and would resentingly have answered, if his sister had not immediately disappeared, and if Celestina had not at the same moment opened her door and said, "'You compel me, Mr. Montague, to walk whether I will or no.' "'Pray forgive me,' said he, interrupting her. "'I would purchase no pleasure at your expense.' Arabella, now returning downstairs, was surprised to see her preparing to go. "'I thought you declined walking, ma'am,' said she formally. Celestina made an effort to conquer the resentment she justly felt, and replied coldly that the morning was so pleasant she thought it would be a pity to lose it. Her apprehensions indeed were that had she remained at home, Montague, who had persecuted her the whole day, would have remained also and the hint his sister had given of the rivalry of the brothers had at once shocked and amazed her. After a moment, however, she began to fancy that her speech had more malice than meaning in it, but the uneasiness of her situation, and the necessity of soon removing from it, recurred to her more forcibly than ever. She endeavoured, as she went downstairs, to regain her composure, apprehensive that the strangers, if not the family, might remark her emotion. But she soon found that there was little to be apprehended from either the one or the other. Captain Thorold was walking arm in arm before the house with Captain Musgrave, the elder of the two gentlemen, and Miss Thorold wholly monopolised the attention of Mr. Bettinson, a very young man, heir to a considerable fortune, who had a few months before, on his leaving Eton, purchased a cornetcy of horse, very much against the inclinations of his father, whose only son he was. He could indeed give no other reason for his preference to a military life, but that he supposed it to be a very idle life, and that he should look uncommonly well in the uniform of the corps. This, however, did not succeed to his wishes, though he was very far from being aware how entirely they had failed. He had a very round back, very narrow shoulders, a long forlorn face, to which the feathered helmet gave neither grace nor spirit, and the defects of his mean and ill-formed figure were rendered more apparent by that dress 
which is an advantage to a well-made and graceful man he had twice danced with bell thorold at the provincial assemblies towards the end of winter and now after having been in town for a few weeks prevailed on captain musgrave to introduce him to a family where he supposed he might find a monstrous good lounge for the rest of the time he was to be quartered in the neighbourhood celestina no sooner saw miss thorold's behaviour to this young man than she accounted at once for the dissatisfaction she had shown at her joining the party for she endeavoured by more than her usual vivacity to monopolise all his attention she watched with uneasy curiosity every glance of his eye towards celestina and seeing that he hardly noticed her being among them and was not struck with that beauty which the captain and montague had so admired she presently resumed her usual confidence in her own attractions and thought only of securing the advantage she had gained celestina not having the remotest wish to interfere with her conquests and being displeased and offended at the curious looks and whispers of the two other military men who continued to saunter on before was again under the necessity of listening to montague who had never failed seizing every opportunity obliquely to hint to her the increasing admiration with which she had inspired him though he at the same time gave her to understand that he knew he had nothing to expect but her pity and her friendship this was however repeated till it became very uneasy to her and the more so because so respectful was his address that she seldom knew how to show resentment and so sincere appeared his repentance when she expressed any that she could not long retain it as they now followed the rest of the party celestina took occasion to ask montague for the paper she had been teased out of in the morning i know not said she on his evasive answer whether my folly in giving it or your absurdity in keeping it be the greater pray restore it and let us think no more of such trifling i will give you answered he a copy of it which i have already began to write but for the original he stopped and suddenly seizing her hand pressed it to his breast where under his waistcoat the paper was enfolded there said he there is your paper i have put it next to my heart and never shall it be displaced unless you will give me some yet dearer memorial to remain there celestina withdrew her hand in confusion and feeling more than ever the necessity of putting an end to such sort of conduct she said with evident displeasure and concern you behave mr montague not only improperly in this foolish matter but cruelly and insultingly towards me who have you know at this time no proper home to receive me but since you thus persecute me with conversation from which though i cannot escape i can only hear with concern and resentment i must as soon as possible find another temporary abode and acknowledging all your father's kindness quit his house the young man who amidst his wild enthusiasm wanted neither sense nor generosity 
was now shocked at her supposing he meant to insult her, and terrified at the idea of her being driven to inconvenience by leaving his father's house. "'I am always offending,' said he, in a voice expressive of the concern he felt, "'and I am afraid often wrong. But pardon me once more, Mr. Mornay, pardon and pity me, and I will not again trespass on your patience with discourse which perhaps you ought not to hear.' though surely the happy Willoughby himself would not be alarmed at the hopeless admiration of a man who knows that he can never pretend to any other than distant and humble adoration. It were all one that I should love a bright particular star. He was going on when Captain Thorold, who had imperceptibly slackened his pace, caught these words, which were spoken in a theatrical tone, and stopping with his friend, Celestina and Montague were immediately close to them. "'So, Montague,' said he, "'at the old game, Mr. Mornay, I bar all quotations. "'Tis not fair for Montague to avail himself at once of his own talents "'and those of all the poets and sonneteers he is acquainted with.' "'He will avail himself of neither, sir,' answered Celestina, and I assure you I wish our conversation to become more general. There, Montague, cried the captain, you see you have tired Mr. Mornay in your tete-a-tete. Let us see if Musgrave and I cannot more successfully entertain her. Celestina, who did not promise herself much advantage from the change, since Captain Thorold's address to her was often as warm as his brother's, but never so respectful, now hastened forward to join Miss Thorold. But she received no notice either from her or her little military bow. They were by this time, however, near the end of their walk, and were met by the family of Mr. Cranfield, to whom the pond belonged, which they were to see fished. The children, several fine boys, now at home for their Easter holidays, were assembled round it eager and delighted, Montague, who was a great favourite in the neighbourhood, was engaged in talking with their mother and with them, while their father, having civilly noticed the whole party, entered into conversation with the gentlemen, and Miss Thorold and Mr. Bettinson still continuing to entertain each other, regardless of everybody else. Celestina, who was fatigued by her walk, and still more by the uneasiness of her reflections, sat down under one of the trees which overshadowed the pond, and her thoughts, which had long been distracted by interruptions, were immediately with Willoughby. So entirely, indeed, was she for some moments absorbed in reflection, that though she saw objects moving before her, and heard the shouts of the boys, the mixed voices of the party who surrounded the water, and the servants who were drawing the nets, she totally forgot where she was, and was insensible even of that want of common politeness which the whole party evinced in so entirely neglecting her. Montague, however, could not long be guilty of it, but disengaging himself from Mrs. Cranfield, who was one of those incessant talkers from whom it is difficult to escape, he came towards her, and, fearful of renewing the displeasure, 
she had so forcibly expressed a quarter of an hour before he only named his fears that she might receive injury by sitting on the grass to which as she gave a cold and reluctant answer he added a deep sigh and then leaning against the tree under which she sat he fell into a reverie as deep as her own from this mournful silence she was roused by the sudden appearance of a horseman who rode very fast near her and who on lifting up her eyes she immediately discovered to be vavasour a thousand painful sensations arose on the sight of him though the first idea that occurred was that he came from willoughby he passed her however without seeing her and reaching the party who were beyond her he gave his horse to his servant and joined them by the manner in which vavasour addressed mr cranfield and the manner in which he was received by him celestina immediately understood that he was an expected guest he comes not to me said she willoughby sends no friend to me he is far far off and perhaps his most intimate acquaintance may now shun as assiduously as he once sought me then the fear she had once entertained that some difference of opinion had occasioned a quarrel between him and willoughby recurred to her and remembering how different her situation had been when he abruptly left alverston and how very cruel was the change she grew distressed at the thoughts of meeting vavasour and meeting him before so many strangers she again repented having walked out and her soul sickened at the many uncomfortable occurrences to which she was continually exposed in a few moments vavasour who seemed to have lost none of his vivacity had been introduced to the captain and miss thorold but he hardly made his bow to them before he said to the latter mr mornay is with you still madam is she not with us replied arabella oh yes mr mornay is with us she's well i hope inquired vavasour eagerly you may satisfy yourself by personal inquiry said mrs cranfield for there is the young lady she and mr montague really form a very picturesque appearance vavasour now turning his eyes on the opposite side saw celestina and instantly advanced towards her with an eagerness of manner which he took no pains to check she arose on his approach and hardly knowing how to receive him so various and painful were her sensations she held out her hand to him then withdrew it and when he spoke to her with all that good humour with which he used to approach her in her happier days it brought those days back to her mind so forcibly that she could not conquer her emotion and burst into tears vavasour was immediately checked and said with evident concern my dear mr mornay the pleasure i felt in again seeing you conquered for a moment the recollection of what has happened since we parted last it is a subject said celestina trying to recover herself on which i cannot now talk yet and she moved a few steps forward to escape the earnest looks of montague thorold which were fixed on her face yet i cannot help asking if you have seen your friend since vavasour 
walking on with her to avoid the observation of the company, said, "'Seen him? To be sure I have. I was continually with him in London all the while he remained there.' Celestina now proceeded in silence, struck with the idea that Willoughby had certainly acquainted his friend during that time with the reason of their abrupt separation. She had not, however, courage to ask him, but having wiped away the tears which a moment before filled her eyes, she turned them upon him with a look so expressive of what passed in her heart, that Vavasour, who could not misunderstand her, answered as if she had spoken to him, I do not certainly know the cause of George's very sudden and extraordinary change of measures, but I have reason to believe the Castle Norths, though how I cannot tell, were the occasion of it. Though I was with him every day, I had very little conversation with him, for he always affected to be, or really was hurried if I saw him in the course of the day, or, if towards night, complaining of fatigue, and taking laudanum, without which he said he could not sleep. When he informed me of his having left you at Alveston, without accounting for his absence, he saw my astonishment, and put an end at once to my inquiries by saying, Vavasor, you know my unbounded confidence in you, and that anything that related merely to myself would be known to you as the first friend of my heart. But do not ask me any questions now. I cannot answer them truly, and therefore I will not be liable to them. Even your friendship and zeal can here do me no good." This, continued Vavasour, precluded all inquiry, nor could I obtain any farther satisfaction when a few days afterwards, the very day indeed before he left London, he desired I would meet him at the chambers of Edwards, our mutual attorney, where, in spite of my resistance, he paid me the money which you know I lent him, with the interest, with as much regularity as if I had fixed that time for payment. And when I very warmly remonstrated on the unfriendly appearance this had, besought him to oblige me by keeping the money, and expressed something like resentment at his conduct, he said, with a sort of affected calmness, and almost sternly, Vavasor, I am going abroad. I may die, and I will not leave anything between us to be settled by Lady Molyneux, who would be my heir at law. And do not you, added he, my good friend, get a habit of throwing your four or five thousands about you, but learn to value money a little more. And friends a little less, said I, interrupting him in my quick way, for that, Willoughby, is the next lesson I expect to hear from you. This money, however, Edward shall keep till you are quite sure you do not want it. I am already sure of it, said he, and do beg, my dear Vavasour, that you will immediately pay it into the hands of the person from whom you borrowed it for my use, as the only way in which it can now contribute to my satisfaction. Willoughby then left me with the attorney, of whom I inquired if he could guess where he got the money. Edwards assured me he could not, as he knew nothing more of the affair than that he was that day to pay it at his chambers to me. 
this circumstance seemed in the mind of celestina to confirm the notion vavasour had started that the castle norths were somehow or other the cause of willoughby's having left her yet as they could have no power over him from affection or friendship their influence if indeed they possessed any must arise from their riches and what was such a supposition but to suppose him a sudden convert to mercenary politics from being generous and disinterested even to excess if such noble qualities could ever lean towards error the mind of celestina no sooner harboured such an idea than her heart rejected it but all she heard from vavasour tended only to augment her perplexity and her sorrow which as he perfectly understood she saw that he would if he could have removed almost afraid of asking any question where it was easy to see he could not answer without wounding her she acquired after a few moments resolution to say where sir did you at last part from him what did he then say to you i took leave of him at the hotel where he lodged and where i had been with him for about an hour before the chaise came to the door he was sometimes very grave and even dejected for a few moments then tried by hurry and bustle to drive away his dejection i asked him why he went to the south of france where he had been before rather than to spain and sicily which he had often expressed an inclination to see he answered that he had business in france but it is more than probable continued he that i may see spain and sicily or turkey for aught i know before i return to england and did he inquired celestina mournfully did he say nothing of me did he not even mention me very often replied vavasour for indeed i forced him into the conversation did there need force then said celestina in a plaintive tone and ready to melt into tears yes answered vavasour for though i believe he thought of nothing so much he seemed frequently unwilling to trust his voice with your name and sometimes after we had been speaking of you he sunk into a gloomy reverie and reluctantly spoke at all one great object of his solicitude was your future residence he seemed however very easy while you were under mr thorold's protection tell me are you yourself happy in his family happy said celestina can i be happy anywhere perhaps not just now but you know what i mean when i use the common term happy are you satisfied with your residence do you mean to continue there i hardly know sighed celestina what i mean so heavy so unexpected was the blow that fell upon me that my stunned senses have not yet recovered it and for happiness i am afraid it never can be mine well my sweet friend though i hope and believe otherwise we will not talk now either of our hopes or fears but are the family you are with pleasant people of whom do they consist of mr thorold to whose worth you have heard willoughby do justice of his wife his daughter and at present of two sons yes i see the captain is among you 
"'You know him, then?' "'A little. Some friends of mine are acquainted with him. He is a man of great gallantry, I have heard, and affects the very first world. Does he not?' "'Really, I hardly know. Yes, I believe he may be that sort of man.' celebrated i think for having sent more young women broken-hearted to bristol than either charles cavendish or ned harvey that is the sort of praise that attracts your hearts while we rattle-headed fellows who are very honest though not very refined who say no more than we mean and address you not as goddesses only to laugh at you for believing us but as mere mortal women are called rakes and libertines and i know not what as if twenty such careless i had almost said harmless lads as we are do half as much mischief as one of those plausible sentimental sighing sycophants who mean nothing but the gratification of their own paltry vanity bless me mr vavasour cried celestina won a moment from her own anguish by this odd remark you seem as much discomposed as if the redoubtable captain had sent some favourite of your own to bristol no upon my soul my favourites i speak pretty plainly you know my acquaintance have in every instance but one lain among people not easily sent to bristol come now don't affect prudery i tell you though celestina that had such a fellow sent a sister of mine to recover health ruined by the disappointment of expectations he had raised i believe i should try if i could to stop his career it is fortunate then perhaps for the captain that you have no sister i may however have friends added he earnestly fixing his eye on the face of celestina i may have friends for whom i may be as much interested as i could be for the nearest relation and them i would put upon their guard i would very fain misunderstand you said celestina because i think you ought to know that situated as i am i need no such precaution or well, you must have a mean opinion of me indeed if knowing mr willoughby you can suppose that she who has once been attached to him can throw away a thought upon captain thorold ay that's true all very true and very fine but look ye my dear celestina i've no way of judging of others but from myself and though to be sure i don't speak from experience in these honourable sentimental sort of treaties i am confoundedly afraid that had i been engaged to helen and found that by some cursed counterstroke of fortune her divinity ship was not to be had that after a little raving and swearing and scampering about the world to get her out of my head i should have fallen in love with with andromache said celestina helping him to a comparison and smiling oh no answered he she was too wise and too melancholy for me your weeping and tragical beauties would make me cry but never could make me love faith i think briseis or chryseis would have been more to my taste or cressida perhaps oh she would have suited me exactly well sir said celestina resuming her gravity you undoubtedly follow the golden rule in judging of others 
but give me leave to assure you that in the present instance it would mislead you and that you are the only man in the world from whom i could listen to such a supposition without resentment you however do not i know mean to hurt me no that i don't by heaven cried he kissing her hand and so do now tell me how and when i can see you again i cannot tell since it probably depends on your stay in this country that depends then upon you upon me yes upon you for i came down with no other intention in the world than to inquire after and see you and for that purpose only have consented to undergo the company of cranfield and his wife very good sort of people indeed but confounded bores who have invited me down these two years and whose invitation nothing but their being within four miles of thorolds would have made me accept celestina was at a loss what answer to make to this because she did not know whether he meant to impute his solicitude to the care he took of willoughby's interest or simply to his friendship for her for of any warmer interest than friendship she had not the remotest idea she had however no time to answer for montague thorold who had followed them with his eyes ever since they parted from the rest of the company now came hastily on towards them to say his sister was returning home celestina rejoined them immediately and after mr and mrs cranfield and their guest had been invited and consented to dine with the thorold family the next day they separated vavasour betraying a violent inclination to attend celestina home and seeming to repress it with great difficulty from the habit he was in of doing whatever pleased himself without considering whether what he did was according to the established forms of the world rude or polite he felt however that to quit his hospitable friends on the moment of his arrival would be carrying his carelessness a little too far and therefore after lingering as long as he could he reluctantly left her to montague thorold who had walked silently by her for some moments and wished her a good day End of chapter five